1 Corinthians chapter 11. Some of you have been dying to get here. It's a little bit of a weirder chapter. Um, Paul had just finished exhorting these Corinthian believers to follow his example in following after Christ. And he's been addressing them on some things that they have written to him, saying now concerning this or that. He's just kind of closed up this section related to things, sacrificed idols and these pagan worship ceremonies and whether or not to be a part of them. And in this chapter, he's going to deal with two things, one being head coverings and the other being the Lord's Supper. He'll say in verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me and all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. If you skip down in 17, he'll say, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. So he's got two things he wants to talk about. One is he's going to give them a kind of positive response. And the other he's saying, Yeah, I can't praise you for this. So... Paul, again, I appreciate he always tried to take the things that were truly good and bring them out and encourage believers with them. So he's speaking to these Corinthians again in two, and he says he praises them for keeping the traditions that he had delivered to them. The traditions being passed on to them. Tradition is a Greek word there that's used about 12 times in scriptures in the scriptures. And most of the time it's always related to the Jewish traditions that were passed down. Uh, it seems to be more directly in reference to ordinances, how to live out God's commands, as opposed to just the direct commands themselves, because there's bad versions of tradition in the Bible, and there's good versions. This is one of the good versions. So it seems that Paul had given them commands and then said, here's the basic way you should work those things out. And those were the traditions. So Jesus would say to the Pharisees that their traditions made the word of God of none effect in Mark chapter 7, and that, in fact, they weren't even really worshiping God. It's a pretty remarkable thing to say. Paul would warn the Colossians in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 8, about the traditions of men, things that people just make up, and those are bad things. So tradition can be a negative thing. But Paul talks about positive traditions that he passed down here and in 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians. So it's the context that kind of gives us whether these things are positive or negative. Here he's saying, in general, it seems like this church took the things that Paul gave them and really tried to work them out. Now they had some issues, and those are the things he's addressing. But he wants to say, look, I'm going to praise you guys for this. You really have done what I've asked you to do for the most part. Some of it started to slide off. Some of the things he probably never addressed. It, it actually seems like we don't really know the specific details of everything Paul gave them or even everything the early church did. We have general things given to us, but we don't have actually a lot of specifics of how they worked out all their services and how they ordered things and how long things were, how many times. So the things that we have, God wants us to have. And possibly this is something that Paul didn't even really address with them because in verse 16, he'll say, if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. The idea being, hey, look, I don't have to argue about this with anybody else. Everybody else kind of gets this. So 
this might not have been something that Paul addressed directly, and he just heard this was kind of happening, or possibly they wrote to him and they said, hey, this thing with head coverings, we want to do this differently. We're not sure how it came to be, basically, but Paul says, hey, you guys are doing a good job generally, but I have something to say to you about this. Verse 3. I want you to know, and this is the key to the whole section here, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. I'll read down a little bit, then we'll come back. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. If a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For man is not from the woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels." Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman. But all things are from God. So here, Paul wants to kind of address this issue of head coverings in the church. Before he goes into it, he lays out the theological basis again, back in verse 3, which is the key, I think, in really the way you look at this lays out and determines the rest of the structure of what Paul is saying. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. This is the foundational truth that directs the rest of the passage. I also find it interesting, Paul doesn't feel a need to like explain verse 3. He just says it, as if it's something that they should understand very clearly. The distinction in this passage, and people argue this is a passage where there's a lot of arguments here, really center around one thing. They revolve around the word head. When Paul says there that the head of the man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God, what does he mean by head? What is he trying to say? And the two general kind of things that people come to are head either means they're the source of something where that thing came from, or head means the governmental authority of that thing. If this is, of course, talking about just the source, the man just comes from the, relation, the woman, then the, the topic's about relationships. And typically people who want to say that men and women are equal in everything and in all relationships and in all offices, it's source. But if head means the governmental authority, that there's an organization and a hierarchy, then you talk about authority and command and hierarchy in view. And those who want to say that God is ordering his creation in a specific way for it to run are going to see it that way. Now, as always, the scripture has to be our guide and should be the determining factor in these things. And the Bible clearly connects the headship of Christ and the headship of man to positional authority in the church and home. Ephesians chapter 5, 
verses 22 through 24 say this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Why? For the husband is head of the wife. Not just the source. This is talking about an authority. As also Christ is head of the church, he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, it's talking about us being subject to him because he's the head. So let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the word here head just means a governmental authority that God has set up. Again, it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It just means that there's structure. You could have a private in the army and a general in the army. The general tells the private what to do. The private might actually be a better soldier. He might be younger, stronger, and more capable. But without the structure, the hierarchy, the government authority recognized, the whole thing breaks down. You don't have an army. So it's not about equality of action. It's about function. And when God created men and women, he created them with function, not just fairness. He wasn't trying to say, you know what, I should give everybody an Adam's apple. Or, you know what, everybody should just be able to get pregnant. Or, you know what, I think God had a purpose. And what Paul does right off the bat is he lays out that structure of authority. And I think it's important to see this. Where does he begin, actually? Notice he says, he begins with God. The head of man is Christ. The head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. With God, we see a community, people say, of unity and diversity. That there is even a hierarchy in the way that God has done things. And God declares this as a revelation from himself. There is submission and cooperation within the Godhead, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus would say in John 18, No man takes it from me. I lay it down of myself, speaking about his life. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command have I received from my Father. And he'd say... Here's how the world is going to know that I love the Father. As he's given me commandment, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to prove it out. And the reason it wasn't hard for Christ to follow the Father's commands is because he says a little further in John 10, I and my Father are one. Their will was one. They were in total cooperation, as they've always been. But Jesus could say in John 14, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back. If you love me, you will rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Saying there is a head, a governmental authority. They are equal, but the Father has given commands of the Son, and the Son follows those commands. And they're also his will. He has no problem following those commands. And within the Godhead, we see that there is this type of life lived out. And in fact... What this shows us is that the most pleasing life that was ever lived on the face of the earth was lived in respect to God's order. So if Christ honored his head, then the man with Jesus Christ and the woman with the man have to also honor theirs. Paul starts with the Lord. The head of every man is Christ. Every man is under the governmental authority of God Almighty. Every man doesn't do his own thing. 
he does what God tells him to do. Right? We have a head. Our boss is God. He tells us what to do. He's our authority. And any authority he gives is then a delegated position. So when it says the head of the woman is the man, what it means is man has been delegated position from his head. And what he then lives out is not whatever he wants to do. It is what the head has given him. It just flows through. He just made an order. Like the general gives an order, it just flows down the rest of the chain of command. God is the ultimate head, the father, and it flows down through Christ, through the man, through the woman, through the rest of the family or the children, and wherever else God would have it go. Simply in creation, again, when man was made, where did he get his orders? Directly from God. God made Adam. Adam's like, what am I doing here? If God didn't say anything to Adam, Adam would not have known what to do. He had to instruct Adam, you're going to take a dominion. I'm going to put you in this garden. I want you to name all the animals. He gave Adam the commands, the direct authority that Adam possessed. Adam did not choose his position on his own. He was created as God's regent or mediator on earth. And he got that directly from God. When God made Eve... And brought her to Adam, where did she get her commands? From Adam. Adam just passed down what God had already given him. Him and God had been hanging out for a while. The Bible tells us God looked and said, it's not good that Adam's alone. And he created somebody, brought that person to Adam, and Adam passed along those things. It's just a positional authority that God has designed in the universe. God establishes an order in all of creation. And what Paul says before he gets into any other discussion here is he says, okay, I got to lay this out here for you guys. Where, where did the order of creation come from? God the Father, to Jesus Christ, to man, to woman. This is how God set up the chain of command in his world. This is how he has so ordered things. Now, having laid that foundation, now Paul begins to address the issue. So, let's read down a little bit. Verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. It is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved. Let her be covered. So, Having laid this foundation, now Paul starts to address the issue, and he gives two commands here. Number one, notice, sometimes this gets left out. Men are not to pray or prophesy with their heads covered. That's actually the first command. Men should not have their heads covered. And then the second command is that women are to do that with their head covered. A side issue kind of here. It's clear that both men and women prayed and prophesied in Christian gatherings. We don't have a ton of details of what that looks like. Paul will talk about it later. But the fact is pretty biblically clear. We know Philip had prophetesses, daughters. Acts chapter 2, Peter speaking about Joel and the prophecy of the Spirit being poured out, said it would be on your sons and daughters. So that happened. Paul is not directly dealing with that issue here. But I think it's important to recognize what he's saying is countercultural 
kind of even to that world. The Jewish men would have their heads covered and still do today. Some of the Roman and Greek world would also have their heads covered at times. Some wouldn't. Women, a lot of them would have their heads covered, a little shawl that they would pull over or some type of covering, depending on, again, Roman or Greek culture or Jewish culture. But those things were different. So no matter who he's speaking to, this is, this is Christian culture as opposed to world culture. Paul wants them to see and recognize something here. And it's also interesting as we look at this passage, we don't really have the fault, whatever Paul uh, is addressing that's happening in the congregation, we don't really have it totally spelled out. And what I mean by that is this, were the men being an issue too? Is that why he's saying this? Seems like maybe a bit, although he starts to address the women more through the process. Uh, was it just married women or all the women? I'm not really sure. He doesn't say that. Were some of the women arguing, and this is what some commentators or scholars think, that they were spiritual beings now, that now that they were saved, they weren't fleshly, so it didn't matter what they did on the outside anymore. Some think that's why there were some of the sexual issues also happening in the church. We're not told. Do they just think cultural norms didn't matter because now they're part of a new citizenship? Also, we're not told, were they arguing men and women are just no different anymore in Jesus Christ? We don't, we don't actually know what the exact problem was. And the reason I think that's important and I would say that is because if we don't know the exact details, it's because the Holy Spirit knows we don't need to know the exact details, and that must not be the main point. What is the main point is what the Bible always says very clearly to us. So whatever, what, whatever was happening, these men and women, in the church that they were doing in relation to their head coverings was blurring the male-female headship that God had established from the very beginning. Does that make sense? That's the problem here. That's why Paul has to start where he starts. Whatever they were doing, they were making it unclear about how God had established his universe and relationships between men and women and himself. So what Paul wants to do is say this. First, men, don't cover your heads and project subordination to anyone else because God didn't make you that way. When he made Adam, he made Adam to deal with him directly talk with him, speak with him, get his orders, and go pass them out in the world. That's how he designed life. And what he's saying is, men, you should take that place. Take the place that God has given you in the world. And part of, really, the application here should be that men are supposed to be who God directly designed them to be individually, in their homes, and in the church. Then the women were not to uncover their heads and project an independence from the headship that God had created for them. Somehow that was happening. Again, whether it was just the married, whether it was all the women, they too were supposed to take their created place before God. All of these arguments aren't really just between men and women. They're between creation and creator. Paul is arguing obedience to God's design in the world, a recognition of it. 
So verse 5, why would this be dishonoring? If he says then, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, or the same thing, the man having his head covered dishonors his head, then why would that be dishonoring to God? Really, for men and women, again, it seems like Paul's focusing here on the women, but he puts both together. And the point is this, if we're praying, we're speaking to God. If we're prophesying, you're speaking for God. So any person praying or prophesying while also ignoring their proper place in God's order is dishonoring themselves. If I'm saying I'm talking to God who created me one way and I'm projecting something else, there's a problem. There's a conflict. If I'm saying I'm speaking on God's behalf, whether it's done in ignorance or in rebellion, there's an issue. Again, I could say in relation to our current culture, this becomes immediately applicable. The trans issues in our world, I could easily sit here and say in our culture, no man should show up and wear a dress. Women should wear dresses. You shouldn't project, particularly somebody who says they're praying to God or prophesying for God, something other than the way God made you. He's my creator, and I should approach him as the thing he made me, as who he made me. And I dishonor myself and really him if I don't take that place. And what Paul is saying is, you got to recognize here, something improper is happening in your culture, the way you're projecting this. Now, he goes on in 6, Paul will say, uh, this is for, I'll read it first. If, for, if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Here, this is kind of the old, if your friend jumps off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge reasoning that your parents might give you, right? The idea is being, okay, if you think that it doesn't matter that a lady covers her head or that doesn't project anything, and like the hair doesn't matter, then just shave your head. Just go all the way. Right? We, we can just have a bunch of androgynous people walking around, and we can all look the same, and it really doesn't matter. Paul's saying, no, that's going to be a shame. I think that he's even inferring there. I don't think any of the Corinthians actually wanted to go that far. Some people say that's what was happening. We don't actually know that. I think this verse actually implies the opposite, that they just were using their head coverings in a way that was saying something culturally that blurred the lines of what God had created. And what Paul is saying is, oh, if you think it doesn't matter, just go all the way then. Just shave your head. Go ahead. He says, no, but that would be a shame. And the cultural, it would say something. Uh, usually it was a punishment for adulteresses. There, there would be a shame tied to it. And he's saying, nobody's going to go that far. If you think it doesn't matter, go ahead. But obviously, it does matter. It does matter. So he builds on this reasoning now in verse 7. He says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For a man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So what he's saying is, look, man, verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7, shouldn't cover his head. He's the image or glory of God. 
the picture there being man's supposed to reflect God's glory as a source of authority and rule different than a woman does. They're both created, the Bible says, in God's image and likeness. But God glorifies, or God is glorified in a man different than in a woman. That's why he made two things. Again, not just one piece of androgynous humanity. He could have done that. We could have all just been the same thing. But he did not. He made two things, and he made them differently. And he interacted with them differently. And Paul says the man was created to reflect something, and then he was supposed to be God's intermediary with no covering. That was supposed to be the way he lived his life out. Woman, he says, though, is the glory of the man. For the man is not from the woman, but woman from the man. Again, he's picking up the order here. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So Paul again points out the created order. He wants them to see that men and women were created differently because he had two different purposes for two different things. Saying God created male and female is like saying God created hammer and screwdriver, fork and knife, right? We do the old dog and cat type thing, but the tools might be a little better picture because you, they might, fork and knife might both help you eat, but they definitely have different purposes. You can eat your Cheerios with a knife. It's going to be hard and it's going to take you a while. Better to have a spoon or, or a different utensil. They're, they're used in a function, and they are not created to be the same thing. They're created to help with that function. And God had a purpose for humanity in the world, which is why he made us. And so he made two things that are meant to function together correctly. And one thing is a man, and the other thing is a woman. And he says very clearly here that, and I think this is important to spell out a little bit, man was not created for the woman, but woman for the man. So what does that mean? How does that work out? Again, Genesis 2.18 tells us the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So what kind of helper did God have in mind? A helper that just did whatever Adam wants? No, that's not what it was. Again, God created Adam first and then gave Adam a job, a purpose, a point in living. Then he said, it's not good that you have this job, purpose, and point in living alone. I'm going to give you a helper in that God-given job, point, and purpose which is loving God and loving those around him, basically, if you want to sum it up, doing the things that God says. And the two of them together are meant to live out that appointed purpose. So to be for the man is simply to be for what God has designed. It's to be for God. It doesn't mean that man gets to boss the lady around and everything all the time. People take these things and they go way further than the Bible does, and that's part of the problem. It's a corresponding partner to the purpose that God had and already passed down. 
God sees a difference there. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30, verse 6, God will ask rhetorically, ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. That's a question in our culture. It wasn't for God. He said, ask around the world and see, is a man ever in labor with a child? No, a woman is. Because that was part of God's purpose, be fruitful and multiply. And he made them together to be able to fulfill that purpose. And there's in God's created order, not just our own desires and will, there's something bigger happening. And as people, as men and women, we're supposed to recognize it. And as redeemed men and women, we should recognize it much differently than the unsaved around us. And Paul wants them to see this and understand it. So he'll go on. Uh, I guess just kind of an aside, I'll throw this in there. Through this whole conversation, we see Paul obviously believes the Genesis record. Adam, Eve, God's creation, man, woman. Like anybody who tells you that none of those things are true, be careful. They can't be smarter than Paul the Apostle. So the Genesis record is factual and actual, if that will help you remember. Verse, verse 10, as he moves on here. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So thanks, Paul. Obviously, this is a bit of a weird verse. Um, there's a lot of people who, you know, have a lot of ideas as to what that means. I don't think I'm going to tell you anything revolutionary here. I think Paul's point is simple. I do think it's important as we read the Bible, the way they talk is important. So Paul just throws in because of the angels as if it is self-explanatory. So to me, it must be pretty self-explanatory. And whenever we're reading the scripture, context is always important. You can always have a person who picks out one verse, right, and then kind of twists it however they want. But we should read the scripture immediately in context with the verses around it, then in context of the book, what is 1 Corinthians saying, then in context of the whole Bible. And all of those should flow together because the Holy Spirit wrote it and there isn't conflict. So if we're reading it like that, Paul, remember, this is a week ago for us, but they would just be reading this. Paul just told them, when you go to pagan temples and participate in their worship, you participate with demons. Think about the demonic supernatural beings you're participating with in these pagan feasts. Now he's saying, when you're at church and you're reflecting God's created order, think about the angels. Think about the other spiritual beings that are there that are also taking their proper place before God. And however we might say in our world might say like, man, I don't really like this hierarchy. This doesn't seem really fair. Well, imagine how the perfect angel feels it has to take care of you. Right? There's, there's a heavenly being that actually isn't messed up that is an heir that ministers to the heirs of salvation. Hey, Paul says, hey, think about the angels. They're, they're participating. They're taking their proper place before God. And you and I are called to do the same thing. Ephesians 3.10 says this, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers 
in heavenly places. What Paul is saying here is, look, recognizing God's created order, recognizing that God made men and God made women, and he made them with specific functions in mind to fulfill his plan in the world, will say something not only to the world, but literally to the supernatural world that looks on. Your life is bigger than just what's happening right in front of you. There's another thing happening, even in the world that we live in. So Paul says, you go to these pagan feasts and you think it's not a big deal. There's a bigger world you live in. Think about the demons. And he says, you reflect something wrong about God's order of creation and how he made you as male or female. Think about the world you're living in. Think about the angels. They're supposed to see and learn God's wisdom through the church and how it reflects that in the world. So Paul says that the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her. She should, she should show in some way, and Paul is saying the way they should do it is the woman should have a head covering, that the woman recognizes God gave me a covering. Now he's going to build on that argument, and he wants to say, and I think he's tempering it somewhat, that people can't get out of control. Notice verse 11, nevertheless... Neither is man independent of the woman, nor a woman independent of the man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. I think Paul doesn't want there to be abuse in what he's saying. We know there's abuse of these things in the world. And led by the Spirit, Paul's always faithful to hold truth in balance. So he reminds them in God's design, men and women are interdependent. He you can't be like, hey, we got this without you. One side can't say, I'm cool without the other side. He's, God might have taken woman from man, but every other man came from woman. Right? He's like, you, you understand you need one another in this. God has designed relationships between men and women so that they cannot claim independence from one another, which is another thing we see happening in the world, in the church it shouldn't, because we should recognize God's design. This is in the Lord, you notice he says there in verse 11. And all things are from God, he says at the end of verse 12. I recognize, God, this is your purpose. Right? People have a lot of thoughts about things. But the main question is, what are God's thoughts of things? Not what are the world's thoughts. And I think it's important for us to recognize it's not just the way things should be. It's the way things are. That's when God reveals something. It's not like, hey, this is a good idea. This is the way things are. He's the creator. He's not changing. He's not going back on things. He's not going to look at it and after 2,000 years say, yeah, I want to do things a little differently. He set up from the very beginning the way things are and the way they're supposed to be. And Paul's saying you should be able to learn from that. You should be able to see that. So he goes on in verse 13 and says, Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, 
nor do the churches of God. So Paul is going to give another general observation in relation to things. This is similar to the arguments he used in chapter 9, verse 7. Remember, where he was talking about working for wages. He gave a bunch of normal life examples. He said a soldier doesn't go out to a war on his own pay. He receives it from the government. The shepherd receives from the sheep. The farmer rece receives of, of the fruit of the field. The, the person who works is worthy of their wages. That's just normal life. You should see that. And what he says now is, okay, I want you guys to judge for yourselves. Tell me what's proper. What's the normal thing? Do men have short hair? Do women have long hair? What, what is the normal thing in creation? Now, of course, there's exceptions. There could be disease. There could be problems. But his, his point overall is what is the typical nature of things tell you? Some people could be like, well, you know, smart Bible people, Absalom. Bible says he was a man and he had long, beautiful hair. Well, how did it work out for Absalom? Not very good if you're a Bible scholar, right? That's the point here being men have shorter hair in general as an aspect of their unique created being. That's generally true all around the world. And women have longer hair as an aspect of their unique created being. Because they're different than men. So if nature has given a woman her covering, why does she need another one? Paul will say in there, doesn't nature itself teach you that if man has a long hair, it's a dishonor to him, right? The idea being men shouldn't begin to blur those lines. If you start to look like a woman, you should think about cutting your hair. If a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Paul says, it, God built this in that you could see it. So why then does she need another one? Why is Paul encouraging, if that's kind of true, that they would have or use this shawl? Because of what it said culturally. If it's already true that God has kind of designed this, that we can see it. And I think the reason is very uh, simple here, which is, because Paul wants the individual will to be involved, not just nature. He wants people that are redeemed sons and daughters of God to make the choice to willingly reflect what is true. That's what he wants. You can be forced into something by nature, but Paul is saying, what is, you notice his question right off the bat, what is proper? Verse 13. I want you to judge for yourselves. Tell me what's proper in this situation. Based off of what is true, of the unity and diversity in God that is passed down to humanity in his purposes, and how he created men and women, and designed a headship and an authority to roll down that starts from him and it's his, and then it moves down in his purposes. If that is all true, then what is proper in how we give ourselves and how we react? And in their culture, obviously, getting rid of that veil or that head covering would say something that was improper in that point. It would not be correlating to what is true about our salvation. And the reality is, the Bible uses this reasoning in all types of things. Paul will use the same word, what is proper or fitting, in terms of Christian conversation in Ephesus. He'd say, I don't want to hear coarse jesting 
or filthy talk or sexual uncleanness coming out of your mouths, but what is proper to believers? What is fitting? It's the same idea. What if our if we claim this particular salvation and work of God, what is proper and fitting to that? If we claim God's creation and his order in the world, then what is fitting in how we live that out and in how we present it? So Paul wants them to play their individual part. We recognize the truth that God is speaking here, and we, in fact, personally embrace it. That's his encouragement. We personally embrace it. Now, again, I think it's important to say, we know this gets abused. We know that men have abused this. We know that our culture abuses these ideas. The, men be, the man being created for the woman, that can be abused. We know that just the whole idea of gender is being abused. I think it's important. We can never reason from false, skewed versions of things. We should always reason from what is true, from the God-ordained version of things. So I can't look at an abuse of authority and say it's all wrong. What I have to do is say, okay, just because something went wrong doesn't mean there's a different design that can actually make it better. If this is the way God ordained the world, then when it works out the way he wants, nothing is better than that. That's what it means. It means that when things are done right, there cannot possibly be a better situation. That this is the ultimate aim. That this will be how things best work out when done in the way that God has ordered. And I know there are many who can testify that that's true. And yes, it can be abused. But that doesn't mean we then take it and throw it away. That's what Satan wants us to do. Yeah, get rid of the whole structure. God has no, nothing involved there. It couldn't ever possibly be from him because there's a sinful human being who abuses it. And I think it's dangerous for us to see this and begin to believe that type of lie. Again, I'll also say it's important to remember, this isn't the only thing the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a lot about husbands and wives and that authority in the church and in the home. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Colossians 3.19 says, Husband, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. 1 Peter 3.7, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I could do the same with church leadership. The, the structure of authority that God has set up in the world Parents can be bad parents. It doesn't mean we throw the family away. Husbands and wives can be bad husbands and wives. It doesn't mean we throw marriage away. And people can abuse authority in all different types of situations. But what God has set up, the structure he has set up, is the way that things work best. And we can't work against it and find something better. Both men and women are to take their appointed roles from God and seek to please him. And what Paul says in the end is, look at verse 16. He says, if anybody seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Paul's basically saying, only contentiousness would cause you to oppose these things. He's basically saying, no other churches have issues here. 
Like, I haven't had to have this conversation with a lot of other people. Everybody kind of gets this. Now, I think it's important in saying that, just to say again, is, to be clear, is Paul commanding all women today to wear head coverings from this passage to respect their God-given roles and their husbands particularly? Is that why the Holy Spirit has inspired this chapter upon whom the ends of the ages have come, as Paul said earlier? And the simple answer is no. <laughs> That's why the head covering part is kind of confusing. What's not confusing is his answer and the principle that he wants to be clearly seen for all of humanity and all the church for every age, that God Almighty created men and women. And he gave them different functions, and he set up a hierarchy, a headship in the world. And that's the way he wants to run things. He's been arguing, Paul, really, from the greater principle to the lesser symptoms of the whole book. The whole book, he's, he's taken something like love and said, you guys are getting knowledge wrong because you misunderstand love. The Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of their philosophers. You don't understand the spiritual nature of things, and that's why you're caught up in these other things. He's been taking spiritual lasting principles and then showing them how they're getting it wrong through these various symptoms. And what he's doing here is, again, you guys are misunderstanding, based on your cultural expression, the thing that the world is supposed to see. We can't blur those lines. They need to be clear. The biblical teaching, just in general on clothing, can be largely summed up by saying, God cares what we wear because of our hearts. God some people say, like, God doesn't care about our clothing at all. That's a, a step too far, right? You could do the old Paul there and say, okay, well, then show up with nothing. Well, yeah, obviously he cares, okay? The, the question is, how does he care? God, God made the first clothing. That's important to him. Put it on Adam and Eve. And they're an expression, what we wear says something as an expression of who we are. It says something to our culture. It says something to God. In the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus, and in the New Testament, we see this. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. It was a problem all the way back then. Nothing new under the sun. Matthew 23.5, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, it's not just women, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Jesus cared about how the Pharisees dressed because they were speaking their pride through their dress. Cared about what the Pharisees wore because it said something. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Cares that women are expressive of their Christian character more than just their beauty. That's why he says you should dress modestly. It was an expression of the church to the world. Here... 
to make head coverings for everybody in every situation, a physical ordinance for the church goes too far. Paul wants them to say and see we're getting it. We're saying something by what we're wearing, and what we're saying is wrong. That's what he wants them to see. The, the, the clothes is just the symptom. The problem is we're not saying the truth about who God made us and what our roles are in the way we dress and in the way we present ourselves. And the, the application, again, for you and I, then, is not to say, okay, we need to do head coverings. And there are some churches out there that will read this, and they believe everybody, every, women always need to wear head coverings. Not saying they're not saved. Don't believe that's how far this is going. I think it's a very big thing, again, for anybody to say that they need to add a physical ordinance to the church. And what I mean by that is the Bible gives us, basically every Christian agrees, two things to literally do, communion and baptism, like physical things to do. And it would have to be a whole lot more specific to add head coverings in there. In Acts chapter 15, when they talked about the church and what the church needed to do, they didn't say anything about head coverings. We don't see Jesus laying it out. We don't see the apostles practicing it. It's not, Paul doesn't even explain the meaning of head coverings here. He goes into, as I said, what the real problem is. The head coverings just be a symptom. So a person who goes there goes too far. Uh, and I will also point out, if you're listening and you feel like, man, that is what needs to happen, you notice how Paul here is not writing off the Corinthians because they're getting this wrong. Right? He still loves them and is interacting with them and is planning to visit them. And so you can get on the hard edge of this where you write off all believers here. His language in this passage is way different than these other things. Right? When he talks about sexual immorality, he's like, put the guy out of the church right now. My spirit is with you. Even in the last passage where he talks about abusing our liberties, he says, you're sinning against Christ and your brethren. There's none of that language here. He wants them to see something. What he's saying is, you guys are actually doing a good job, but understand this thing here. You're projecting something that's wrong that's important. And I want you to understand and not be contentious about it. So the, the larger point being, again, the symptoms of head coverings is semi-hazy because the Holy Spirit isn't trying to give head coverings to the church for every age. The principle of created order is clear because that's the universal guide to all our practice. And the church is so different all over the world that God knew this is what would have to be. The, the recognition of how and who he made us is going to look different in different places. But, you know, what Paul would say to them that everybody got in their culture is different than our American culture. If everybody was wearing a head covering, people wouldn't come in and be like, oh, they're doing that because the symbol means this, and it doesn't say the same thing. But I could say similar things again in our culture, in the way we would dress, which is happening all around the church right now. I could say men and women should show up at our church, and you should all wear your wedding rings if you're married. <laughs> I'm culturally saying something. I'm culturally saying something if I take it off and walk around without it. There's, there's certain things that are a reflection of deeper truths, and that's what's happening here. And this is supposed to be the guide that he wants us to have. Does our life and clothing and practice 
declare God's distinctive reality for redeemed men and women. Is that what's true in our lives? Because it's important, not only that somebody does it, but that you do it, as I said. It's not just the way God created you. You should take personal responsibility to make sure that your life and practice is declaring God's created order, who he made you to be. And guess what? In our culture, that's going to cost us more and more. But if I say I'm God's, I can't approach him or pray to him or worship him and then declare something else with my mouth and my life somewhere else that's opposite of who he made me to be and how he wants me to function as his creation. Now, outside in the world, people who don't know God, that's one thing. But for people who claim to be the sons and daughters of God, this is something we should understand. If you can read verse 3 and say it's true, then this becomes immediately applicable in the world that we live in. Immediately applicable in the world that we live in. No one should like or promote or practice causes that dishonor God's design and creation in the world of men and women. Particularly people who say that they're the Lord's. Why? Because God made it so. And there's no other philosophy or reality in life that is actually better. I think that's an important point. It's not just that we believe these things are true. It's that we believe these things are the best because God made it that way. And if God makes it that way, that is what's best. It's best for men. It's best for women. It's best for the world. It's best for the supernatural world to see. And it is best for us individually. So <clears throat> a passage that, again, has quite a few uh, different arguments around it, but I just think it's very important to see the clear things that Paul says, and they become very important for the day and age that you and I live. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. When you inspired Paul to write this thousands of years ago, you knew we'd be sitting here reading it in our day and age. You knew the Corinthians needed this instruction, and you knew we need this instruction. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to receive it and receive it as it is in truth, the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how best to honor you with these things. Lord, we know situations are tricky in our world. <clears throat> it's not always clear how best to honor you. <clears throat> but I believe, Lord, you'll lead us. I pray that you would individually give us what we need in you. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.